Welcome to Building the Future, Freedom, Prosperity, and Foreign Policy, a podcast series focused on updating the United States soft power playbook to meet the hopes and aspirations of developing countries because it's in America's interest to do so. I'm Dan Rundy, Senior Vice President at CSIS. There are a lot of global challenges out there, so let's get started. I'm Dan Rundy. This is another episode of Building the Future with Dan Rundy. I'm joined with my colleague, Romina Bandura, who's a senior fellow here at CSIS. Romina has led a fabulous, put together a fabulous report on the sustainable infrastructure in the Amazon. And it's already gotten something like 150,000 views on YouTube, the short video that you can find on the CSIS YouTube channel. She just did a bang up job on this. She and along with her co- our colleagues just did some really excellent work. So Romina, tell us about the new sustainable infrastructure in the Amazon report. What were some of the key findings you want readers to take away from the report? Well, hello, Dan. Thank you so much for having me in your podcast. We conducted this study looking at three country case studies. We did three country case studies, um, Brazil, Colombia, and Peru. These three countries altogether contain more than 80% of the rainforest, and they're the main economies of the Amazon. What people might not know is that the Amazon, of course, has a tremendous amount of biodiversity. It's the largest rainforest in the world. But at the same time, this region has about 35 million inhabitants, mostly in urban areas. And together with that, the Amazon has many assets in terms of minerals and other economic resources. So for example, oil and gas, forestry products, natural waterways, and mineral deposits. So this creates challenges and opportunities for both the environment and the inhabitants of the forest. And you know what we want to raise with this report is that the conversation about the Amazon is mainly focused about environmental damage occurring in the basin and too focused on the trade-off between environmental conservation and and economic development. But this perspective is too narrow. It takes the development of the Amazon as a zero-sum game. So that is that if we conserve the environment, we, we lose out on economic growth and vice versa. But there are other important challenges in the region, including security and weak governance and weak infrastructure planning that are driving deforestation in the basin. We look at deforestation not just as environmental problem, but an outcome of security, economic, and governance aspects in the region. What does sustainable infrastructure mean? And what does it mean in the context of the Amazon? So the Amazon started its development process around 1960s. There was a drive to populate the area and extract resources and secure the border. And governments back then used infrastructure development as a means to connect the different communities and sort of try to secure the area from other, you know, they were afraid of maybe some international invasion or or something like that. But through the years, you know, the the main problem was that the the infrastructure that was developed was mainly these very big projects called, you know, mega projects, mainly in uh, road construction and hydroelectric dams. 
which sometimes were not planned in the right way. They didn't take into account economic returns, meaning, you know, they were too costly and there were very few economic benefits. Some of these roads led to secondary and tertiary roads being built because local governments really didn't enforce regulations and could not control the deforestation around the main road. And, you know, of course, many of the communities around these projects were not directly benefited. Au contraire, they were maybe displaced and some of their livelihoods, such as, you know, fishing, was disrupted. So over the years, Dan, as you know, you've been writing a lot and been participating. You've been a leader on the quality infrastructure agenda and, you know, similarly, sustainable infrastructure. You know, these are concepts that the G20 and, you know, the government of Japan and other multilateral agencies such as the IDB, uh, IFC, World Bank, bilateral agencies such as the U.S. Development Finance Corporation are championing. And essentially, sustainable infrastructure means planning and executing projects in a way that we take into account both the economic returns, the social impacts, the environmental impacts, and institutional setups uh, of the country. So it's looking at projects that will add value in terms of these four components, that will also generate employment, will create resilient infrastructure, that will build capacity on the ground. So there is no one single framework then, and that's a little bit maybe the problem. And the IDB, I believe, is leading a group to sort of harmonize these different approaches. I believe there are like 30 of these frameworks out there, and some of them we are summarized in our report. So the challenge for some countries is, well, what framework do we follow? What are some key indicators that we can use to really you know, measure sustainable infrastructure? So governance in the Amazon, how does better governance improve the insecurity that inhabitants face in the Amazon? The Amazonian communities in general lack meaningful economic opportunities and basic public services. And as a result uh, of this economic vulnerability, there are a lot of criminal groups that push people into activities like illegal logging, gold mining drug production, and these activities lead to more deforestation, water pollution, you know, gold mining uses a lot of mercury, and some of these uh, mafia groups present real challenges to communities and securities. And a lot of times, you know, these local governments often lack the institutional capacity to control these illegal operations. There's a lot of inadequate land registries and disorderly titling processes. So a lot of large tracts of land remain undesignated and insufficiently monitored, which allows settlers to invade land that is not theirs and expand these activities. And so limited resources, corruption, sometimes political will makes it really difficult for local authority to stop these invasions and environmental destruction. And if you add that, this poor infrastructure planning that I was mentioning, there's a lot of communities impact and environmental impact. So strengthening governance, especially at the local level, would be really beneficial for the communities and for the environment and also better coordination between 
local governments and central governments when they make development plans and when they envision infrastructure for economic growth in the region. There's oftentimes a discussion in in conversations like these that we need to bring the private sector in and that there's a role for the private sector. What role does the U.S. or Brazilian private sector or Latin American private sectors have in playing in developing what I would describe as sustainable businesses in the Amazon? You know, we need to be thinking about developing uh, business models that are more, like you mentioned, sustainable in the future and not just based on extraction or like an approach of what is called slashing and burning of the forest, but really to make sure that we have like a living forest economy. And this is not something CSIS says, but there are a lot of knowledgeable and wise people on the ground in these countries that have presented many different um, economic models based on expanding production of added value products like coffee, cacao nuts, superfruits. You probably know acai. It's very popular in the United States. And so other businesses like ecotourism, you know, of course, now with coronavirus going on, it's it's a little bit harder to do, but the private sector can really be a partner to government and innovate and think about ways to bring jobs that are based on bioeconomy and sustainable value chains. The United States has a number of agencies like USAID. There's also the Development Finance Corporation. They play roles in the Amazon. What roles could they play in supporting the agenda that you put out in your report? USAID has a very interesting program called the Partnership for the Conservation of Amazon Biodiversity. And, you know, one of the components is really they're trying to bring together private companies to invest in these economic activities and really, you know, activities that conserve the forest and not damage it. So the innovation of the private sector, USAID can help with that, establishing PPPs. The Development Finance Corporation can invest in projects that meet environmental, societal, and governance standards, you know, ESG standards in renewable energy production and in other areas that are deeply needed, such as water and sanitation and other infrastructure that cover social services in the Amazon. And also, you know, the United States is the largest shareholder of the Inter-American Development Bank and the World Bank, and they can really push these multilateral agencies to work closer together and with governments to implement stronger standards and help also subnational governments with governance issues. So I wrote an article in the OECD about OECD accession for Brazil as being an important opportunity for the United States to have a constructive dialogue with Brazil about Mm -hmm. many different issues, including the Amazon. And so both Peru and Brazil, two important countries in the Amazon basin, would like to join the OECD. Costa Rica's a member, Colombia's a member, Mexico's a member, Chile's a member. And it's been an important way for Latin American countries to enact changes and reforms because it's a very attractive club of countries. Former President Santos called the OECD the Club of Good Practices. So how does Peru and Brazil's potential future accession to the OECD, how could that change 
the regional approach to the Amazon in the context of the conversation we've been having? Yeah, I mean, the OECD as an important standard setter agency. So they have really good frameworks on governance, especially also on infrastructure governance, uh, anti-bribery, Dan, and others, which you know well. So I believe for Colombia, it took them, what, five years for them to complete the process uh, of accession. I think the OECD could be used both as a carrot and a stick, no? Because these countries, as you mentioned, want to be part of this club, but they have to adapt their laws and regulations to these higher standards. So it creates both more pressure to change things on the ground and also an attractive incentive for them to be part of this exclusive club. But, you know, these countries are sovereign, Dan. They own the assets. This is their land. This is their countries. There are enormous stakeholders in how that land is stewarded or used. And so we have to understand that, right? Isn't that an important part of this? Yeah, I mean, the Amazon is a very sensitive topic for these countries, especially for Brazil. And uh, rightly so, you know, it's like when people criticize China or the U.S. on emitting greenhouse gases and they criticize Brazil and, you know, countries and their stakeholders get sensitive and defensive a little bit on it. So we understand that, but also the international community and other stakeholders have a role to play and to support, you know, a more sustainable vision of the basin. The problem, Dan, is like there is not like a unified vision of these eight countries that make up the Amazon. So I think Brazil, Colombia, and Peru who, as I mentioned at the beginning, have the largest share of the rainforest. I think those should be the main leader countries and they can come up with an implementation plan. They signed this pact last year, the Leticia Pact, and so maybe the next step would be to operationalize it. So I also, I argued recently in an Hill op-ed that simply criticizing countries for the mismanagement of the Amazon is ineffective. I think that's been an approach many in the civil society world and in governments have used to engage countries in the Amazon basin. It's generated a lot of, almost the government would describe it as a backlash. How could President-elect Biden and his incoming administration play a constructive role in the management and responsible development of the Amazon? Yeah, Dan. I mean, nobody likes to be criticized. <laughs> I don't. I hate being criticized. <laughs> You know, as I mentioned, the Amazon development is a sensitive topic and what uh, countries can do is support good models. But again, these are sovereign countries. You know, in terms of the United States, the United States can play an important role through their development agencies, through multilateral channels. The U.S. private sector is the biggest and most innovative in the world. And they don't want to be, you know, investing in industries that are going to pollute or create social conflicts. So they can be a driver of change. And also we can't miss out on the security element. So the United States has provided training to the Brazilian military, technology. And so this exchange has to continue and the other issue is, I think there has to be a, a more focused approach on the issue of corruption. You wrote a very important report on corruption. Again, as we mentioned at the beginning, there are a lot of elements involved in the deforestation of the Amazon. 
So good governance is one element and corruption plays a big role. This is one thing that the United States can push in through their programs as a condition, you know, more training, etc. So I think there's space for more constructive approaches instead of just pointing fingers. And you know, we should be supporting, again, good policies in the Amazon. Well, Romina, congratulations. I thought you did a fabulous job on this report. I encourage people. What is the title of the report again so people can go and look it up? It's called Sustainable Infrastructure in the Amazon, Connecting Environmental Protection with Governance, Security, and Economic Development. And then I'd like to thank Shannon McEwen and all the team that helped make this project happen. And of course, special thanks to the Moore Foundation for sponsoring the project. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Romina, and congratulations. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 